So we're starting a new series entitled The Vow, um, and this series is looking at the topic um, of marriage, uh, because we believe at this church marriage is something of importance. We believe within the context of Christianity to the church, this is something that God has ordained um, for us um, as a tool, ultimately, to, to bring glory to him um, and further demonstrate our relationship with us and our spouse, um, the relationship of Christ and the church. Um, so we believe marriage is something that is important for us to to look at and make sure that we are doing everything we can to ensure that we are having healthy relationships um, with our spouse. Um, and so going into that, there are there are two different kind of demographics that you might fall into today. Um, either you're married or you're single. Um, and so I I know when we hear you know a sermon series on on marriage, that almost gives us the sense to to almost tune out if this doesn't directly apply to our lives right now in this very moment. Um, and so what I want us to do um, as I begin to, to kind of share all these things, um, to kind of just view this through whatever lens you are looking at right now in life. Um, if you're married, this is going to be easy because, okay, these things apply to you right now in this stage of life. Um, if you're single, that could even fall into two categories. You could be someone who does eventually get married, um, or there are people who are single and never get married. Um, and I don't want us to view that as necessarily a negative thing. I think even in the Bible, you know, Paul kind of talks about, for him, it was better not to be married. And so I don't want us to to fall into this trap that I think sometimes Christians fall into, where we assume everyone needs to be married in order to live out God's purpose for your life. Um, because if we're being honest with each other, not every single person is going to be married in their life. Um, but what we can do is look at the example of marriage and see how that does apply to our lives. Because I fully believe that when we are in a marriage, the lifestyle and the characteristics that come with that, that we should be living, also apply to every other relationship we face. Maybe not on that much of an intimate level, but it does show an example of the same love that God shows us. So by studying marriage, we can learn more about ourselves and our relationship with God. So the four different weeks we're going to be looking at, we can throw a slide up there. We have four different vows that we're going to be going through. First, we have the vow of priority. Um, week two, we're going to be looking at the vow of pursuit. Uh, week three, the vow of partnership. And then week four, the vow of purity. So I have the opportunity to talk to you today about the vow of priority. Um, so if we begin to kind of brainstorm in our heads right now some priorities in our life, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of things that are, would come to your mind. Um, I'm just going to guess some of them might be your job. You know, some of you place your career as a priority in your life. Like, this is important to me. Um, some of us might put some sort of success or maybe money or like that is a priority. I want to be successful in life. I would hope that some of us would think of a priority in our life as people or some sort of person. Maybe it's your family, your friends, hopefully your children. And I would hope even more so if you're married, that would be your spouse. Because Marriage does need to be a priority in our life. Um, whether or not we realize it, we almost subconsciously have this, like this list of hierarchy when it comes to our priorities in our life. And the question we want to ask ourselves is, what is that list? What are we prioritizing in front of something else? Is it our career that we're placing in front of our children? 
Is it our friends that we're placing in front of our spouse? And if we, if we were to answer honestly, I don't know if we would always have that list of priorities in the correct order. And that's, a, that's kind of a hard thing to, to realize for yourself, to say, you know what, maybe my list of priorities isn't lining up with what God has them to be. Because the truth is marriage does need to be towards the top of that list. I would say it needs to be ahead of your career, it needs to be ahead of your friends, maybe even ahead of your children at most points. But the, the one point I'm going to have today is that marriage should never be our top priority, but instead it should be our second. So I'm going to say that again. Marriage should never be our top priority, but instead our second. Now, when you, when you hear that, when I first was going through this, and Steve gave me some of these notes, we kind of talked about it, and I, and I you know, thought of this point, and this is kind of the, what I'm going to be talking about the entire sermon. This is my one point. When I heard that, it was kind of like, a, what do you mean it shouldn't be our top priority? And then the more you think, you kind of get that Sunday school answer, like, okay, well, yes, God should be our top priority above everything else. And that's something that, like, you know, it's kind of a shocking statement at first, maybe. You're like, what do you mean? That's, that's not true. But then you think, like, okay, God should be our top priority. I get it. That makes more sense. But then when you actually think, like, how often is this lived out, that's when it becomes difficult. How often are we placing our spouse as our number one priority in every single thing we do over God? And so, to give us a little more context, I want to look through the, the first context we see marriage being portrayed in the Bible. And that comes from Genesis chapter 2. It's actually the first, the first time we ever see a man and a woman together in, through all of history. So, in the book of Genesis, we know God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the plants, the animals, the water, the skies, the seas. Everything that we know, God creates and then chapter 2, he creates man. He creates the first man, Adam. And we're going to be picking up from Genesis 2, verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But Adam, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So there it is. There's the first example of marriage we see in the Bible. The original example of a man and woman being united Becoming one flesh. And I, I want to focus on that last line for a minute here. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. You see, the original context of marriage, that, that term, they become one flesh, it's, it's almost in a way kind of literal here because Eve was created out of Adam's rib. So in a way, she was part of his flesh. 
But then it goes on, and that, and that term is used more often in the Bible. We see in Matthew 19.5, Jesus uses that same quote when he says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And then we see again in Ephesians 5, verse 31, Paul also says the same thing, quoting Genesis, saying, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So this idea of becoming one flesh with your spouse— while it started as, as a literal one flesh, it now becomes more so than that. And it's the analogy that we use to describe a marriage. And, it, and it's something that can't even be explained. I think Paul even says it in Ephesians when he says it's a mystery that we really don't understand, but this is how it is. You become one flesh. And if you're married, you probably kind of understand more of what that's like. You understand the intimacy of when you are united with your spouse and you become one flesh. And in Genesis, it starts this, this idea of that is why a man leaves his father and mother. Because once you become married, now you are a part of something completely new. You are, be, you are part of a unity. And all of a sudden, the list of priority changes from your family to now your spouse. You leave your father and mother. What once was at the top of your priority list now shifts over to your spouse. And so we don't want to neglect the fact that marriage is important. And marriage should be a very high priority for all of our lives. But once again, I want to just reiterate the fact that marriage should never be our top priority, but instead our second. So let me explain that now. I want to look uh, over and now in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, we're going to start at verse 35. So in this part of Matthew, uh, Jesus is talking, as he often does in parables and other stories, um, kind of talking to his disciples, some of the Pharisees, teachers of the law, different people. Um, this is part of his ministry where he began to become more and more popular, and people became, they come and they try to almost trap him into saying things that, are either unbiblical or heresy, or they can find fault in what he's saying. And so in verse 35, it says, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And first, I, I just want to point out this question. This question, when I, when I read this this week, it kind of, it kind of popped out to me. Um, and I, I, I thought of, you know, like, what, what caused this person to ask this question? You know, which is the greatest commandment? Um, it almost in, implies in a way that whoever this expert in the law was was trying to find a shortcut, you know, through all the commandments, saying, okay, like, if, if there's only one commandment that's most important, if I only follow one, like, what would that be? You know, like, let's say, like, what's the, like, what is your priority of commandments here? Like, think if you're a parent and your child comes and asks you that. Like, hey, I know you gave me all these rules to follow, but what's, like, what's the most important one? Like, what would you... You, you would think, like, okay, well, maybe they're intending to break a rule that's lower on the list, and they're just trying to figure out what that, the order of priority is here. And I love Jesus' reply here, because he, it says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so not only does he answer him, the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
He then gives the follow-up. He, give, he gives an order there. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. But then what he does is he finishes by saying all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Implying that when you follow these two commandments, every other commandment should follow. So he responded. He gave him the answer. He told him, here's the, here's the number one commandment. Here's the number two commandment. But once you follow those two, you're going to follow all of them. So the teacher of the law didn't really get out of it, did he? And what, what this means is if you look through the Ten Commandments, the original law that most of the Jews followed through most of the Old Testament and even going to the New Testament, all the commandments can fall within these two commands. Because when we, when we truly love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, all of a sudden we don't put any other gods before him. We don't worship other idols. We keep the Sabbath holy. We honor, we respect God. And just like the second commandment, once we begin to do that with our neighbors, like once we actually learn how to love our neighbors, to love other people around us, then all of a sudden we don't want to steal from them, we don't want to lie to them, we don't want to kill them. These two commandments can summarize pretty much the whole existence of the Christian life. And not only that, but Jesus does specify the order of that. The order is to love God and then to love your neighbor. And it almost, it almost sounds too simple. Well, first it sounds kind of funny to consider your spouse maybe like your neighbor. And I, I wouldn't recommend doing that, just going home and calling your spouse like, just like your roommate or something. It's probably not the best idea. But given that, no person, no neighbor should be higher than loving God first. Because God is a God of relationships. And that's the, the reason why all these commandments fall within those two commandments is because it all centers around this idea of relationships. And that's why God created marriage. So we could have an example of what our relationship with him is to look like. And the, the problem is, I think we, we set these almost false expectations for our lives, especially when it comes to marriage. And I've, the more I've, I've realized, I see I culture, and I see, you know, the movies we watch and the music we listen to, we place such a high expectation on other people, specifically our spouse, and maybe more so if you're single right now, and maybe you feel like there's this there's culture where you're just expected to find, you know, the perfect person, your soulmate. This this person that is just going to, to fix all your problems, to make life easier. And when we set those expectations for ourselves, when we are married and continue to set those expectations for our spouse, when we make our spouse our top priority, we are then asking them to fulfill a role that they were never meant to fill. And that really is kind of the point of it all, is when we have our priorities not in the correct order, our spouse then becomes someone they were never meant to be. They become our savior. 
in a way they become our God. And because they're only human, they can never truly be that person. And I know I've, I've only been married a year and a half. So there are, I know there are couples in this room who probably can speak to this much better than I can right now. But I can already see that in my life right now. Like when I have a struggle or when I have even a simple, something as simple as a bad day, like I go to my wife. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, you know, I think you should have a spouse. You, you should have a friend even, someone in your life where you can confide in. But when that begins to replace me going to God with my issues, having him sort it out, having him deal with it, that's when it becomes unhealthy. All of a sudden, my wife is now on this pedestal that she can't fulfill. And I, I know I don't want to be on that pedestal. I don't want anyone to look at me as someone to fix their problems. I don't want that pressure because what happens? When I begin to let that person down, all of a sudden, that's when all these issues come up. That's when this distrust come up because we put this expectation that they were never meant to fulfill. When really we have the answer to it. We have the source. We have a God who was created us to rely on him, and yet we don't. I think we almost become too comfortable with our relationships with each other, not only in marriage, with our friendships even, with our children. We become so comfortable that we don't need to rely on our relationship with God. And that's kind of a scary thing. Because if we answer honestly, looking through Scripture and other examples through the Bible, we know that we need God. We need to rely on Him for every single thing. So the fact that we sometimes have thoughts that we don't, that's a scary place to be in. I, I think of... In Galatians chapter 5, and if you're not familiar, um, that's the chapter that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it, the fruit of the Spirit, which some of us probably know, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you, when you see a list like that, I, I, I read that and I think, you know, that sounds like a pretty good list for relationships. That sounds like a pretty good list for marriage. Like how many of you would agree, like love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a really good list. You could add a couple things, I'm sure, but there was, nothing, there was nothing you would take away from that list. I'm sure we'd all agree, in order to have a healthy relationship with anyone, those are good things to have. And the, the problem is, I think sometimes we seek those characteristics before seeking the actual source of them. You see, these things aren't just fruits that we can obtain, but they're the fruits of the Spirit. If you were to take any other piece of fruit, like let's say you wanted an apple, what would you do? You'd go to the store and you'd buy an apple, right? Now, does anyone actually have like an apple tree? Like they own one, they have one in their yard? No? Okay, good, then this works. But if you were to have an apple tree, how much more fruit would you have? It wouldn't be a one-time purchase. It wouldn't be a one-time exchange. You would have the source of the fruit. And once you have that source, the fruit follows. And in the same way, the fruit of the Spirit works. 
And I think if we were to just take time to actually seek out the Spirit, to actually seek out God, making Him our top priority, all of a sudden the fruit of the Spirit becomes more obtainable to us. And in turn, we use that fruit within the context of our relationships. And now it's, it's, it sounds, I know it sounds a lot more simple than that. And because in a way it is, I know life isn't that easy, marriage isn't that easy, relationships aren't that easy, and I don't expect us to just, to just look at that and all of a sudden our relationships are fixed. Because the truth is relationships are hard, marriage is hard, and it's not going to be easy sometimes even when we do make God our priority. We can be doing everything right, we can be making God our priority, we can be honoring Him, serving Him, getting these fruits of the Spirit, and it's still hard. And so I don't want to neglect the fact that this is still difficult, and it takes practice to do. But if we want even a chance of healthy relationships, if we want even the chance of a healthy marriage, we need to begin with this idea of seeking out God before anything else. The other example I kind of think of, going back to, to Genesis. So we have the first First idea of marriage, right? Genesis chapter 2. But then, I mean, before you can even turn the pages in some Bibles, chapter 3, what happens? Sin enters the world. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, essentially what happens is God gives, you know, Adam and Eve this, this, this garden, this perfect paradise, what we would assume is perfection in this world. They are allowed to do whatever they want. They are allowed to eat whatever they want, except there's one tree that's off limits. God says you can eat anything in this garden except for this one tree. And so in chapter 3, the serpent comes and tempts them. He tempts them with a piece of fruit. And yada, 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 we know the end of the story. Here we are today, sinful nature. And I, I, I read that, that chapter, and I almost wonder sometimes, you know, and I, I've had this thought, it's an honest thought, but I thought, you know, where was God in that situation? Where was God when they were being tempted? But then, the more you think about it, the, kind of, the question turns, well, why weren't they with God when that happened? Why did they not invite God into that situation? Because the temptation happened when they conversed with each other. One of them had the fruit, and they said, hey, look, I have a fruit. And then they had a short conversation, you know, well, God said not to eat that. And then the serpent kind of gets to them, and all of a sudden, they can't help each other. They don't have the power to convince each other otherwise of that temptation. And now I'm not suggesting, you know, if this were different, then all of a sudden that's how we would have had a perfect society and a perfect world. I don't know that. I don't know what would have happened. But I do know looking at other examples in the Bible, when we do rely on our spouse as our moral compass, as our savior, as our God, and we, we place our actual father as a second priority, that's when these things begin to happen. And so, it's one of those things where it's, it's, much more easier to say, and it's a lot harder to practice out. And I don't have all the answers. I don't have a one, two, three points to tell you how to live a better life, how to fix your marriage, how to fix your relationship, how to set God first. But I do know that's where it starts. 
I do know it starts when we begin to realize that we need to place God at the center of every single thing we do, the center of our struggles, the center of our joy, the center of every single circumstance we find ourselves in, because if we want even a chance of a healthy relationship as described in the Bible, we need to begin with the first commandment, and that is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so if you're married in this place, and maybe you've been placing your spouse as a higher priority than they were meant to be placed at, maybe it starts there. Maybe it starts with an honest conversation with yourself, saying, you know what? There have been times where I go to my spouse rather than my God. And it's not as if God needs to replace your spouse in every practical way when all of a sudden that, you know, you're not talking to your spouse as much or you're not spending time because you're too busy with God. It doesn't look like that. But even to include God into the situation and making sure he is the priority. And if you're single in this place, this is the perfect place to start. Because before you even step into a relationship, before you even step into a marriage, if you're going to step into a marriage, whether or not you're going to be married or single, this still applies. God should still be your number one priority. This isn't just for married people. This is for all of us. Every single person, despite your relationship status, should make God your number one priority, should make God the center of every single thing you do. And so I just want to take some time, and I want to pray for us. I want to pray that we can take this vow of priority. And I, more than just setting God up as our number one priority, I want to pray that we can prioritize our entire list. Because like I said, marriage does need to be your second priority. It does. It needs to be come before your friends. It needs to come before your career, before your hobbies, before every other aspect of your life except God. And so the question is, you know, how do we do that? How do we prioritize our list in a healthy way? And so I'm just going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that we begin to kind of think about these things. And as we go home, that this doesn't just become a sermon that we just kind of forget, but a lifestyle that we can continue to live out and start to practice even today. So God, we just pray right now. As we read your word, as we listen to your commandments of what you're telling us, God, I pray that these things that you are telling us don't just become words that that I am saying, God, but I pray that your voice is within this all. God, I pray that as we continue the rest of this week, when these things come up, when these issues occur, God, I pray that we know where to turn to, that we turn to you, God, that we make you the center of everything we do, God. I pray that as we continue to look at what a healthy marriage should look like, as we prioritize this list. God, I pray that everything we do just honors you. I pray that through our work, through our family, through every relationship we can possibly have, that you become the center of all of it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.